Good morning and welcome to Journey. It's good to have each of you out with us today to worship, whether you're with us in person or online. It's great to have you and uh, on a beautiful fall morning. And uh, we're loving this with weather and loving you guys. Uh, isn't it great to see Dan back up here this morning? Man, isn't that awesome? Um, Dan's going to tell his story uh, here in a, in a couple of weeks. He's going to share, and I'm excited to, to hear that and uh, hear what God continues to do in his life. Uh, he is a great healer. He is a great physician. You know, this morning I noticed, I don't know about you, uh, but uh, every uh, Sunday morning, right before church, my phone tells me how many hours I've spent online average each day. Anybody else do that? I don't know if that just happens or not. But mine said I was down 8%, which is a good thing, not much, but uh, it's a good thing, I guess, to be down some. But I was reading an article the other day about your phone and uh, I think most people uh, at this point probably have a smartphone. They've kind of moved us. We all have to have that. But they tell us that every day you should restart your smartphone. You should do it every day, at least uh, morning, evening, sometime. Now, phones are in, uh, incredibly intelligent today, but all of our phones get a little buggy sometimes. I don't know about yours, but mine does. It gets weird. Weird things start happening. They slow down. They get stuck. Sometimes I can't even get mine to come go off, to be honest with you. Uh, so um, your, your phone may be getting old like mine is. I got an update coming up. Maybe you got some malware come on it. Maybe what's happening, they say, though, is usually a misbehaving app somewhere on your phone has kind of taken over, taken charge, and it's running in the background. Some of the apps on our phone actually run all the time. They're designed to do that, to keep up with things. But there are some apps that we download that take advantage of your phone uh, they actually steal strength from it. They steal your battery strength. They also gather information and send it back to their owner. And so they say the solution is to restart your phone every day. I thought that was interesting. And I was thinking about how in our life there are a lot of distractions that happen to us on a daily basis that, that get, a, get our minds going somewhere else. They kind of take over us whether it's anxiety, whether it's a, a struggle, addiction, whether it's a, a temptation, whether it's a relationship, it's for money, our job, whatever it is, like an app gone wild, they compete for our attention, they take advantage of us, they steal our strength, and, and they steal our focus. And they take us away from the spiritual disciplines, the life that we know as Christians that we're called to live. And so the answer is that we need a reboot in our life, to reboot our life, to get back on track, to restart, to get rid of the stuff that's distracting us and, and, and stealing our energy, and reboot our lives. And so uh, that's why I wanted to kind of do this sermon series called Reboot, uh, where we can hopefully turn off everything and put the right attention that we need to be having on Jesus, what He deserves in our life. And last week, Tony began the series by talking about rebooting hope by talking about healing and recovery. And uh, it also was kind of a way to highlight the fact that we're relaunching our, our uh, Celebrate Recovery, and that happened Thursday night. I was able to be here and share with them, and it was a great evening, uh, really good. Uh, uh, several new people and kind of a new energy, a new focus on Thursday nights now instead of Monday. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if you are struggling with something, some habit, hang-up, or hurt in your life, uh, we think sometime about it being a substance addiction, but it, it's not. In fact, that's one of the fewer things uh, overall that Celebrate Recovery helps people with. So if you're struggling with something, we, I encourage you to come 6 o'clock on Thursday night. A uh, shameless uh, commercial for that, all right? But anyway, Tony talk, started talking last week about, about healing and recovery. And today we're going to be talking about rebooting evangelism in our lives. 
Rebooting evangelism. I want you to imagine for a moment that you have the secret to life. I mean, not just a secret to life, but you have the secret to life, what gives purpose and meaning to people, why we're alive, why we basically exist. It answers all of life's questions. And imagine that having that, it's not really a secret. In fact, it's something that you ought to be telling everybody about. The more you know, the greater your knowledge becomes, and the more you share it with other people, the greater the impact becomes. Now, as Christians, we actually do have that secret. We have that secret. Unfortunately, many of us seem to think it is a secret to be kept and not a gift to be given. But the gift of the answer of life, our faith, is to be given to everybody. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about that, about how to share our faith with people. We call that evangelism, but that word kind of scares us to death. It basically just means communicating the gospel, the good news of Jesus to other people. Basically, simply, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins, that in doing so, he ensured eternal life for all of those who believe in him and who follow him, who are in a relationship with him. And we're given that privilege, we're given that amazing privilege, but also this this responsibility, which we oftentimes don't think about. Now, I think that there are two disconnects that many people have when it comes to the idea of evangelism. First of all, we don't appreciate truly what our salvation means. We, many of us have been Christians for some time, and the longer that we are Christians, the more distant we become from having been lost, and the more we just take it for granted, the more we just assume everybody knows what we know, you know? And that's the second disconnect, is we assume that people know as much about Jesus as we do, and that everybody just has already chosen to say no to him. But in reality, most people honestly don't know very little, if anything, about Jesus. Most people really don't. We just assume they do. And they don't know how lost they really are. And so I want to share this with you. I want to challenge you because God is challenging me, to be honest with you. You know, you you might think, well, as a minister, you do this all the time. But I'll be honest, it is really easy to get distracted by running things, running the ministry, running the church. And I find myself oftentimes realizing it's been a while since I've shared my faith with people. So I, I share that with you. I'm going to be open and honest and admit this, but telling you God is moving in my life to change some things, and, and I'm loving what I'm seeing because we're going to see somebody uh, later on in this service be baptized, and second service, we've got a gentleman who's going to be baptized, and that hasn't come from me, but God's stirring some things up in my heart, and I want to stir it up in your heart as well because it's not for ministers only, all right? This is for every one of us. So everything I say today is going to be relevant to everybody in this room. And I believe the gospel is simple, and I want to keep it as simple as possible. So I'm going to use the outline of three words, who, why, and how. It doesn't get much simpler than this. Who, why, and how. How do you challenge other people to know Jesus, and how do we challenge ourselves to share? First of all, the who. Who do we share Jesus with? Who is really, really simple because that's everybody. Anyone and everyone who does not have an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. But specifically, there are two groups of people I think that we need to think about who desperately need to be reached out to. And the first group that I want to just talk about are are what I'm going to call lapsed Christians. Lapsed Christians. 
Because a lot of people would say that they are a Christian, right? Even though there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence of faith or living for Christ. And I know today that it's really popular for people to say that they're believers because maybe at one point in their life they made a decision to follow Jesus. And let me just say that I know that Jesus will never let go of us, never let go. He promises that, but we can let go of him. We can choose to do that. We can be distracted by all the things in life, and we can let go of him, and we can let our relationship wither and die. And that is an exit. That is our choice to exit the relationship, the covenant relationship that we entered into with Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's convenient and it's comfortable to think that all you have to do is give your life to Christ at some point and that you never have to do anything else. Believe me, I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people in my life who would tell me that. Oh, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. Gave my life to Christ such and such time. Have no obvious connection with God at this time. Not my place to judge, but, you know, I think it's pretty obvious at some point that people walk away from Jesus, all right? Now, I know some people don't believe that, so I'm going to tell you what the Bible actually says about that, because the Bible doesn't support the idea that once you have given your life to Christ, you can never fall away. The Bible doesn't support that at all. Second Peter chapter 2, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that's washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Did you catch that phrase that they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning? That should trouble a lot of people who feel like, well, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus one time, uh, and, and we're all good, you know? if they're not living the life. Again, it's not our place to judge, but let's be honest with people, right? The possibility of falling away from Christ is warned about several times in the Bible. Jesus said, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your your lampstand from its place unless you repent. From Revelation chapter 3, a call to repentance. And Matthew chapter 10, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Do you know people whose love has grown cold? Their love for Jesus. All of us do, right? And we don't seem to be troubled by that, but I believe that Jesus says, There's an idea that a believer can never be lost, but anyone I think who knows the Bible knows that isn't true. Now, some might say, if they believe that, some might say, well, they were never saved to start with. That's not my call to make. But I believe that there are a lot of people who fall away who once were very sincere about their faith. There is a danger we all need to be aware of in our life. A lot of people are being deceived into thinking that they are good with God, but they have no evidence of God in their life. There's no relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no fruit coming out of it. And they need to be lovingly brought back to Jesus. I think this is what Jesus was saying in the parable he gave of the 99 and 1. Remember that parable where the the shepherd went in, counted his sheep one night, 99 sheep were there, one was missing, and and he left those 99 to go rescue the one that had wandered off? So I would say to you, why worry if the wandering sheep was safe already? 
That sheep was lost. It had leapt the fall. Sometimes lapsed Christians are more hardened than those who have never known Christ because they insist they're fine. Not our place to judge, but we need to be aware of that. If we love people, we're going to be concerned about people who are deceived into thinking they're with Christ and they're not. A second group of people are those who have never known Jesus at all. And here's the thing. Many of those people are very good people. They're probably better than you and I, to be honest. Just good, moral people. They, they, they're still lost, though. You know, in the past, it seemed like almost everybody had some uh, religious affiliation. But now more and more, when people are asked that, they would consider themselves, they would put the word none. And so because of that, they've actually been titled nuns, not N-U-N's like in the Catholic faith, but N-O-N-E-S. They have no affiliation. They have no interest. They have no connection. Even if they might have had some affiliation when they were a child, they don't have an affiliation now. People consider themselves to be spiritual, but not necessarily religious. And if we believe the Bible, we have to understand that those people are lost without Jesus. They are lost without Jesus. Not, again, not my call, but this is what God says. And I think this is where the disconnect comes because we are all in our Christian bubble. We're in our Christian bubble. If I don't intentionally do so, I don't ever really have to contact an unbeliever. I can live my life among my staff. I think pretty sure they're all Christians here. Um, you all are. You're the people. You know, we can really, we can be in our Christian bubble, and we assume that people are good because they're not asking us about our faith. Rarely does someone come up to you and ask you about your faith. They assume they're good because nobody's sharing with them, and nobody's telling them or warning them about the danger, and so we're good, right? You're good. I'm good. We're all good. Isn't it comfortable to think that we're all good? But that's not true, is it? It really isn't true, not if we see through the eyes of God. Because one day that person's going to die and they're going to go to a hopeless eternity. And one day we're going to die and we're going to stand before God and he's going to ask us why we didn't tell him about Jesus. There will be accountability that will be held. Guys, I don't know about you, but you know, maybe it's just our culture going around, but there seem to be a lot of people dying these days. And there are a lot of people younger than me dying. I understand when people older than me die, because uh, they're old. I'm not old, but people older than me are old. But when people younger than us are dying, and, and they're not expecting to die, doesn't that kind of warn us that we ought to be doing something about it? Now, there are plenty of reasons why people give for not sharing their faith. Believe me, not only have I heard them all, I've given them all, all right? Why don't we do that? Well, you know, there's always a possibility they could ask a question. I don't know, and that would be embarrassing, right? Well, there's always a possibility they're going to say no. I don't know how to begin a conversation. I don't even know what to say to them, right? But you know what? All these reasons can be overcome. And I think the biggest reason that we don't share our faith is indifference. It really is. We're busy. We got stuff going on. And to be honest with you, we don't care. And that is probably the greatest sin as, as a Christian we can have. We don't care about the person enough or we would overcome the hurdles and the obstacles to just do it. Here's the thing, guys. The gospel was always meant to be shared in relationship. If you look in the Bible, it was in relationship. They didn't have to have long relationships, but, but they always shared uh, the gospel when they, when they met people and connected with people. 
Now, it might be somebody who might pick up the gospel impersonally. They might hear it on the radio, I guess. That could happen. Or they might respond, just pick up the Bible and read. But the most effective way is one person building a relationship with another person and then sharing their faith. That's how it's always meant to be. And that's how the church and Christianity has continued for 2,000 years. Now, that doesn't mean that we look at people as a project or anything, but it does mean that we're always open and we're always available if God might connect us to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And we care about them, about their, their, their eternal future. The gospel was meant to be shared naturally. It was meant to be shared with love and compassion, after, usually after building a relationship. And there are kind of three stages that are a part of that. First of all, cultivating or building a relationship. Secondly, planting the seed of the gospel, just a conversation about that. And then third, reaping the harvest. And there can't be a a harvest unless there's a planting, right? We know that to be true. And if there is a relationship, there should be a seed planted, and then there can be a harvest reaped. But we all consider every person we come in contact with as a potential follower of Jesus that we might be able to influence. And here's the thing, most of us have multiple people in our life right now that we know do not know the Lord, if we were honest. We don't want to be judgmental of them. Again, that's not our place. But let's be honest, because one day those people are going to die, and they're going to stand before their maker, and we're going to, we're going to be responsible in some way if we haven't pre- helped prepare them for that. And I think the bottom line is probably our motivation to do so, that the fact that most Christians never get motivated to share their faith. Did you know that to be true? Maybe you felt like you were the only one. And you've been beating yourself up for that, but you're not the only one. In fact, I would say that 95% of, of Christians never share their faith, which is a shame. Wouldn't it be great if we turned turn that number upside down? Wouldn't it be awesome if 50% of people who are believers would share their faith? That would mean I challenge you today, become that person who does. Let's change the percentage. Let's, let's flip that whole thing around. Let me share with you 10 reasons why Christians ought to share their faith. Ten reasons Christians ought to share their faith. Number one, it's a command to us. It's just a, a direct command. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's not just to preachers and ministers. It's to everyone. That ought to be enough, but there are obviously nine more, right? Secondly, we go because hell's real. Hell is real. If you believe in heaven, you have to believe in hell. There's no integrity in your life at all if you say, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. There's no way. And how cold-hearted could we be to know that there are people who are going to hell and we do nothing at all about it? Hell is real. Number three, we must love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. That's one of the commandments, I believe. Jesus said, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Would you want someone to tell you about the love of God and warn you about the danger of hell if you didn't know? If you would want someone to know, then it would only be natural that you would tell other people about that because you'd want them to do that to you, the, the um, golden rule, right? Number four, obedience is evidence of salvation. We're not saved by our good works or our obedience, but if we are saved, we are going to be obedient. And one of the traits of a disciple of Christ, or a follower of Jesus, is that we tell others and make more disciples. Number five, to be silent is a sin. It is a sin. James chapter 4, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. So if you know, and we all do, right? We all know that we should be sharing our faith. If we don't, we sin 
in not doing so. Number six, evangelism deepens our walk with God. Evangelism deepens our walk with God. There's nothing that stirs up our own love for Christ more than helping lead other people to him. And it's so exciting to see people respond. Does everybody respond positively? No, they don't. But you know what? That's not our, it's not our problem. It's theirs, right? But when you see people respond, that's so exciting. To know that we're partnering with him in his work. The greatest work that ever was, the work that Jesus came to earth to do, you and I get a chance to partner with him in that. That ought to be motivating to us. Number seven, it causes us to search the scripture. Do you want to read your Bible more? Then I would encourage you to share your faith more, and you will read your Bible more because you want to know what you're talking about, right? First Timothy chapter 2 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Evangelism helps you stay in the word. You won't know every question that comes up. Believe me, I don't know every question. Some questions don't have answers, right? But you can find the answer and get back to them. Nothing wrong with that. Be honest. It makes you look human when you don't know everything, right? But remember, you're going to know the Bible much better than anybody you're talking to. We're living in a biblical, illiterate world. So it's not likely anybody is going to ask you a Bible question that you don't know because you know more than they do automatically. Number eight, it deepens our prayer life. We pray for ourselves and we pray for the person that we're talking to. What if you had a list of people that you were praying for on a regular basis, that you were praying for their salvation, you were praying for an opportunity to talk to them, that would deepen your prayer life. Number nine, it deepens our appreciation for the cross. When you tell other people about what Jesus has done, it will remind you again and again how much he did for you. It makes you more aware of your faith. It makes you appreciate your faith more and not take it for granted. And number 10, you're going to be rewarded for eternity. Did you know that the Bible speaks about the crown of rejoicing for all of those who are soul winners? The crown of rejoicing. When people talk about putting, you know, jewels in your crown, um, I think that might be part of it. We're laying up treasures in heaven. There is a crown for those who win others to Christ. Now, that shouldn't be our sole motivation, but I mean, that's going to be pretty cool, right? There are going to be people in heaven who will be there because you helped them get there. And that is going to be a blessing to us. We can look forward to that. So there's a lot of incentive and there's a lot of reasons to share Jesus with lost and wandering people. And that brings us to the last question, and probably the most practical part of this message is how in the world do we do that? How do we do that? I hope you see that everybody needs Jesus. I hope you see that you are a tool of his, that you are the method. There is no other plan other than you and I to do that. So if we are the plan and everybody needs it, how are we going to do it? And that's why I wanted to, to kind of wrap up with the how, okay? and the most practical part. So how do we share Jesus? Well, there's a lot of ways to do that. And in fact, just a conversation. Let me, let me first of all say that there are two stories you can share. You can share. One of them is, is his story, which we're going to talk about, but the other is your story. And I, I don't care what people think about Jesus' story, your story they can't argue with because it's your story. And you can share your story of how you came to Jesus, and that's powerful. And because they, they need a story of their own, right? So, so you tell your story, but there are other ways to tell his story. And one of those ways I'm going to share with you is the bridge illustration because I think it's such a simple way. It's a visual way to do that. 
There is no wrong way to share the gospel. As long as you're sharing Jesus, putting him in his rightful place, as long as you do it, there's no wrong way. But a lot of people need an outline of some sort. You need something to go with to kind of direct your thoughts, and this one is really easy to follow, okay? So I want to share that with you. Now, this is where it gets weird because we tried to illustrate this well, and we had some technical difficulties. I'm not even sure how well this is going to go, all right? Um, we had a plan, and our plan fell through this morning. But it is a bridge, bridge illustration, and if you will stay with me, I will give you the, what you need, the scripture and the outline, to be able to share this with somebody on a napkin, in a restaurant, on a piece of paper, whatever it may be, but this will help you, and this could be the reason that people come to know Jesus, all right? So here we go. First of all, start with a blank piece of paper. Do we have that up there? Oh, yeah, we got that on the right side, on the, yeah, the right side. You write the word God, and you draw a line underneath it. So God, God has a plan, all right? God has a plan. What is God's plan? Well, it's pretty simple. John three sixteen. we all know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is God's plan, that everyone would have eternal life. Right below that is John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full that we are to have abundant life. The only way you can have abundant life is to have a relationship with God. It's what God has made us for, very clearly. All right, so that's the first part, God's plan. The second part is our problem. And you go to the opposite side of the page and just write our problem. Now, what is our problem? Well, we all have it, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us what it is. For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned. Every one of us have failed being the person that God called us to be, and we have, we're, we're, we're sinners. You say, well, how, how, how bad do we have to be to be a sinner? If you sin one time, you're a sinner, right? I mean, that's pretty simple. You are a sinner. I got a feeling every one of us here are sinners. Every one of us are. You know, I love the word picture for sin in the Bible. It's that of an archer shooting an arrow, and if you've ever shot arrows, um, you know that you aim for the bullseye. And when you miss the bullseye, that's a sin. So the bullseye in our life is Jesus, and we aim for him. We try to be like him. When we're not, we sin. We fail. So all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, we, and that causes, the result of that is separation from God. So on your little diagram there, you can draw two lines to show that we are separated from God. So we got the diagram, all right, so there it is. So what has happened is that sin has created this chasm in the middle, that there's a separation between us and God, whereas we once were with God and should be with God, sin has broken that down. And um, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So death is what we deserve, it's what we what we get because of our sin. We're separated physically, death, we die, death came because of the sin of Adam and Eve, right? But also we're separated spiritually from God. That relationship is broken with him because of our sin. And then Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So we're going to be judged for our sins, there will be a time that we'll stand before God, everybody, no matter who they are, no matter how powerful they are, no matter how rich they are, we're all going to stand before God, and we're going to be judged. 
And, and in knowing that, there's, we, try to do, we try to fix it, right? We try to compensate. We try to be good. We try to help people. We try to pray to God, but we can't pay for our sins, and we can't fix our brokenness. And I'm going back to our diagram there. It's obvious that there is a big canyon between us and God. And God knows that, but God wants to fix that. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that he can fix it because of his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So this big problem we have has got to be fixed, and we can't fix it at all on our own. But we know that there is a fix, right? Because God has a solution, and that's the next part. The solution is the cross. And the cross is what bridges the chasm between our problem and God's plan for our life. When Jesus laid his life down, just like a, the, the bridge is laid down across the, the chasm, we can't build it, but Jesus is God's bridge to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. First Peter chapter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so God has a solution for that. But then we have to have a response to that. We have to choose to respond. We have to choose to see the arrow. We choose to cross over the bridge that we couldn't create, but the bridge that Jesus laid down for us. And that is our response to come to him. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we cross over from this, from being alienated from God, to now becoming a child of God. We are now a part of his family through Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We do that by believing and receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior and trusting in his sacrifice as our payment for our sins. Revelation chapter 3 says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will eat with me. So Jesus longs to have a relationship with us and he invites us to cross this bridge that he laid down his life so that we can now be a part of the family of God. You know, that is really so simple, right? Really is. Anyone could do that. Tell you, if you want, if you didn't write these down and if you want to have this diagram, you, you just email me or something, I'll send it to you. I didn't create this. Uh, this is out there. You can Google it online. You can find it. But I would encourage you to, to, to have this. Have the scriptures written down. I know it's hard to remember all that. Have them written down. Add them as you go. You can do that. You, you know, that's, there's nothing hokey about that. But, but your, your lost friends have never seen that. You think they do. You think they know all that, but they don't. They don't know that, and they don't know that Jesus offers them hope and salvation. Now, say you share that with someone, and, and you say, well, what do you think about that? Which is what I always do. I want to know what they think. If they don't like it and they don't agree with it, that's great. We just spent 10 minutes, and now I've kind of done what God's asked me to do. But if they say, wow, I've never heard that before. You say, what do you think your response needs to be? Well, I, I think I need to give my life to Christ. Well, now what do you do? Now, are you lost? You know, what, what do we do next? Here, here's a simple thing. You say, well, it's really easy to make a decision for Jesus. First of all, you need to believe. You need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
That's the very first thing. Believe that He is God's Son. Believe that He died for you. Believe that you need to cross over Jesus. You need to come to Jesus and give Him your life. Secondly, you need to repent of your past sins. You need to acknowledge that you are a sinner and that now you don't want to live that way anymore, that you want to give your life to Christ, that you want to ask for forgiveness and commit to follow Him. Thirdly, you need to say, you know what, you need to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Not confess all your sins to me, but acknowledge that you are a sinner and verbally say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father in heaven. You need to confess them. And then fourthly, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is so simple. This is not rocket science, guys. I believe we built this up in our mind. It's so difficult that we can't do it. But every one of us can share this plan with other people. Do we know everything? No, we don't know everything. Nobody does. They're not either. But we know enough. And we know that God has called us to this. This is a great method that anyone can use to share their faith with Jesus. You don't have to memorize it. You can write it down. You can share it. No, this is not a test. You don't have to prove anything. But this is what we need to be doing so we can introduce people to Jesus. And guys, I feel like it's time that we create a culture of evangelism in our church family. And I'm going to lead in that. I want to lead in that, and I want our staff to lead in that. But guys, it's not going to be left to three or four or five people to do it. This is for every one of us to do. Because the days, we're living in the last days. We're living in dangerous days. We're living in threatening, serious times. And if people don't know the Lord, then it's time that they came to know Him. And let me just say this, as believers, I'm going to challenge you to to do this and feel confident and motivated to share this with people, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever it might be. And if you want me to sit down and talk about this again, we can do it. I'll be glad to do that. But here's the other great thing. If you're here this morning, and you have never given your life to Christ. You have never responded to what you just saw. You have just heard the gospel presented in a very simple way. And if you need to give your life to him today, today is the day to respond. In just a few moments, we're going to share in a baptism from someone uh, uh, who has responded in this way. And we're going to do the same thing in second service as well. But I want to challenge you, if you have not given your life to Christ Let this be the day, because this time next week, you may not be here. may not be here. I may not be here, right? We're living in perilous times, and it's time to make sure that we're right with the Lord. So we're going to have a time of 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 decision here in just a moment, and uh, Tony's going to ask, I'm going to ask him to step up. I'll be over here. Um, I think it's just time that we get serious about the most serious thing in life, our relationship with the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and God, uh, some subjects are light, this one's heavy, but Lord, it's the most serious and most important thing ever, because it transcends today or tomorrow or our, the rest of our life. God, it goes into eternity. So Lord, my prayer is this morning, if there are those here who have never given their life to Christ, that God, they would step forward today to make that decision. And Lord, I pray for all of us who are believers that we would not be distracted by all the things in life that seem to be important at the moment. But Lord, that we would know that the most important thing we could do, the most important time we could spend, would be in sharing our faith with other people. 
And Lord, I pray for your blessing on those efforts. I pray you would move our hearts, you would motivate us and challenge us to serve you and to share Jesus. And I pray in his name, amen.